Hey y'all, this is Byron. I uh, just want to put something out there. Yes, I am a mental health therapist. And yes, my couch is quite comfortable. However, if you're listening to this podcast, it is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a certified or licensed mental health therapist. So though I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to me and hopefully gain some information and insight about what's going on with you from listening to this podcast, take the time to seek out mental health resources in your area if you so need to. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Hey y'all, like to welcome you guys back to the Captain's Couch. This is Byron, I'm your host. Thank you so much for continuing to listen and checking out this Whirly Derby um, idea of a podcast that I decided to put together. Thank you so much for your support and your tweets and likes and reviews. Um, I did get a five-star review today, uh, this week, thanks to my dad, because I had to write it for him, because I don't think he knew how to do it, but, uh, we're gonna count it anyway. Um, so five stars, said, he's proud of me, and I know he is. He called me, he actually called me, um, after I did the first episode to, uh, talk about how happy he was that I did it and how proud he was of, of me for doing a podcast. And my dad is like one of my biggest, biggest inspirations and biggest supporters, I think, you know, that I've had. And I always appreciate his support and his, his wisdom and his, uh, his guidance, even sometimes when I don't agree. And sometimes when I just yada, yada him, I always love that, you know, he's there to try to put me up on game and offer me support. So thanks for checking out the podcast, dad. I love you. So today... I want to switch it up a little bit because I wanted to initially maybe talk about ADHD or um, childhood trauma, especially because that's a lot of the stuff that I work with with the kids that I serve. But since your president decided to put his foot in his mouth again, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it instead. Um he's not the first person to mention this and I've seen this in, in um, newspaper articles and in rhetoric from other um, politicians in the past few years when mass shootings come up and it, it just drives me nuts every time I see this so um, from CNN, this is an article from CNN um, written by Jacqueline Howard blaming mass shootings on mental illness is inaccurate and stigmatizing, experts say. So President Trump described a weekend of two mass shootings in the same day, one in El Paso and one in Dayton, Ohio, as a quote-unquote mental health problem. 
He said, quote, we must reform our mental health laws to better identify mentally disturbed individuals who commit acts of violence and make sure those people not only get treatment, but when necessary, involuntary confinement. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. Right. Okay. I can't I can't state as a mental health professional how infuriating it is that in a country where it is nearly implausible how much access to guns we have in this country where I could go to Walmart right now and see displays of guns in the store where you are selling bulletproof backpacks to children instead of working to restrict gun access and to do background checks and all of these things where you are time and time and time again using mental health as a means to humanize Caucasian nine times out of ten mass shooters using mental health as a means to humanize them when they strip people of their lives of their family members and in some cases their children and then turn around and say that you need to reform mental health laws instead of gun laws it is infuriating as a mental health professional because it also completely ignores that okay the shooter has a mental health issue guess who else will now have mental health issues because of these incidents the victims their family members their co-workers their friends these people will be dealing with PTSD with grief with loss the survivors they may it may take them years before they have some sense of safety or be able to work through the grief that they feel due to these mass shootings um experts such as i'm going to call myself an expert but i do work in the field um representatives from the apa the american psychological association call it unfounded to blame mass shootings on mental illness and place of considering other factors such as hate bigotry and access to assault weapons which the shooter in El Paso wrote a whole manifesto espousing white supremacist beliefs <sighs> this is this is going to be a frustrating episode to do I can tell calling every mass shooting a mental health issue is inaccurate and stigmatizing. Arthur Evans is the chief executive officer of the APA, which is cited in this article. Mental illness affects millions upon millions of adults and kids in this country. And now in this article, it's cited about one in five Ameri uh, adults in the United States, which is about 46 million 
people experience mental illness in a given year, according to uh, NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. The reality is there are a variety of reasons that mass shootings happen that uh, Mr. Evans cited. Um, if mental illness were, if it were a mental illness, mental health issue, and that was the only issue involved here, what you would see is roughly the same amount of mass shootings around the world, and that is not what we're seeing. We're seeing more mass shootings in the United States because of our easy access to guns. Framing mass shootings as a mental health issue leads to policy would lead to policies you would think to improve mental health, but it won't prevent the next mass shooter. And this is Lori Ann Post, who is a professor of emergency sciences and medical social sciences at Northwestern University. It is estimated that less than 5% of mass shootings are committed by people with a diagnosable mental Ill illness. Less than 5%. But all of them, quote unquote, all of them are a mental health issue. So she brought up a very interesting point there when we talk about of mental health issues when it comes to gun violence and that if that were the case it would lead to better policies to improve mental health well if we look back at what the Trump administration has really done in an effort to actually improve mental health or health care in general that would seemingly help these situations we find that he's quote-unquote talking at the side of his neck. So this is from Newsweek. Trump has tried to slash funds for mental health care despite post-shooting rhetoric. Hmm, interesting. While President Trump has long attempted to link mass shootings to mental health issues, he simultaneously proposed budgets that would strip hundreds of billions from Medicaid the country's largest payer of behavioral health services. As he's done in the past, with past uh, mass shootings, for example, Thousand Oaks in November, Parkland last year, um, Sutherland Springs shooting, which I believe was a church shooting in 2017. Um, Trump blamed mental illness during his remarks Monday for the two spree shootings that happened over the weekend. Yet Trump has sought to slash vast amounts of money from Medicaid and his budget proposals since taking office, despite previously promising to not cut the program's funding. In March, he proposed slashing almost $1.5 trillion from the, from the projected Medicaid spending. The Catholic Foundation said that in 2015, Medicaid covered 22% of non-elderly adults with mental illness and 26% of non-elderly adults with serious mental illness. Cuts to the program will significantly impact mental health coverage available to Americans. Now, that speaks to my job and my, my program that is funded by Medicaid. All of the individuals, all the children that I serve are children who receive Medicaid benefits. Now, the president has said that 
it is a mental health issue all the while his administration has attempted to continuously cut funds from Medicaid his administration and Republicans as a whole as, as a whole have also been continuously trying to gut the Affordable Care Act for since it's passing through Congress which also helps gain allow people to gain access to mental health resources health care primary health care which let's be honest your physical health affects your mental health and vice versa so individuals who have been able to gain access to health care through the affordable care act have been able to also gain access to mental health resources through that as well now Republicans will tell you that it's a mental health issue and will also continuously fight to cut health care coverage for individuals, especially poor individuals throughout the country. Interesting. Hmm. Medicaid is the most critical part of any conversation about mental health care. Jennifer Snow, who is the acting director of the National I'm sorry, of advocacy and public policy at the at NAMI, at the National Alliance for Mental Illness. It is the nation's largest payer of mental health and substance abuse services. The Trump administration also has also permitted states to impose work requirements for individuals seeking Medicaid, further inhibiting access to mental health care. Although the White House permitted eligibility requirements as a manner of helping people get jobs a claim that appears dubious after recent study yep and I think when we were talking about this that essentially the work requirements are not a means to try to get people to get jobs but as a means to basically throw people off Medicaid who desperately need it while individuals considered medically frail are exempt from working, um, the Center for the Center on Budget and Policy uh, Policy Priorities said that definitions exclude many people with mental health conditions. Some others could have trouble qualifying for the exemption. Um, unfortunately, the Trump administration has approved states' request to limit Medicaid eligibility in ways that fall particularly heavy on individuals with cognitive difficulties such as schizophrenia or just bipolar disorder, major depression at times, or a few other different types of mental illnesses in general. Additionally, the Trump administration has has proposed provisions that undermine significant expansion of the American of the Affordable Care Act. It's pushed to enhance short-term duration plans, which often do not provide mental health coverage. Also can impact health care for the expansion of Medicaid through the ACA. Which brings up another point, and it's a point that is very particular to Mississippi. Mississippi is 
and of course this this actually took place during the Obama administration. Mississippi is one of 14 states in which Medicaid expansion was denied or refused to be implemented by the Republican governor. And pretty much all of those states that do not have Medicaid expansion are Southern and have Republican-led leadership. Eight out of the 14 states that do not have Medicaid expansion or refuse to do Medicaid expansion are in the South and have Republican legislatures and governments who refuse to extend health care access to more low-income people through the Affordable Care Act. So when we talk about mental health and we talk about, you know, mass shootings being a mental health issue, we got to look at funding and access to mental health care. So in Mississippi, we have an issue where we have continuously refused Medicaid expansion. And this is an article that I got from FacingSouth.org that actually talks about each of the states in the South that have refused Medicaid expansion. Um, in Mississippi, 300,000 people reside in the coverage gap that would have been covered had they expanded Medicaid. And hospitals are suffering from uninsured people being unable to pay their bills. The Mississippi Hospital Association has proposed a plan called Mississippi Cares as it refers to Medicaid reform and not expansion. Modeled after healthy, after the healthy plan, healthy Indiana plan, the program would be a partnership involving the state and its private hospitals and Mississippi True, a MHA created insurance company. The plan would require participants to, play, to pay a $20 monthly fee and a $100 copay for certain non-emergency hospital visits. Governor Phil Bryant, who was on his way out because he's term limited, um, still has not backed the plan, and he's not going to back the plan as he's actually exiting um, the office this year. Um, of all of the candidates, I believe only Jim Hood, who is a Democrat, and he is the current um, Attorney General of the state of Mississippi, has actually endorsed Medicaid expansion. So you have 300,000 people who could benefit from Medicaid expansion and likely gain access to mental health. Now, Mississippi is in a very, very, very interesting place when it comes to mental health where we have refused mental health I mean, we've refused Medicaid expansion, which will help pay for mental health, which will help actually with another issue that we have going, that we've been having going on in the state, which is we've been under federal lawsuit for years. I believe this happened during the Obama administration as well, where the federal government came down and said that we needed to emphasize least restrictive care of individuals who were in long-term treatment facilities and start working to move them to outpatient facilities. So the problem has been that 
we as a state have not structured well the process and have not allocated the funds at all to actually make this change happen. So this is from the Clarion Ledger. Um, the leader of Mississippi's Department of Mental Health testified Thursday that she supported spending more money on serving people outside of state hospitals as the state concluded its defense of a lawsuit where the federal government is asking a judge to order Mississippi to make changes. We want to we want people to receive services in the least restrictive environment. Executive Director Diana Mikula Mikula testified citing the standard by the federal law. Um, federal officials say Mississippi violated the 1999 Supreme Court decision finding unjustified confinement in a mental health and a mental hospital is illegal. Mississippi officials say that the state is making good on its progress and that federal government is making excessive and costly demands. When asked what the big, biggest obstacle is, McCullough said funding. Now she said funding and the legislature, she said funding. Here's the thing, state of Mississippi cut its budget two years ago. And I know this because obviously I've kind of read the news, but the budget cuts came down as I was still working at Ellisville State School in my last job. As the budget cuts came down, we had to start downsizing the facility and our resources even more, such as waiver services that gain, that provide access to services at the home and in the community for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. All the while at my last job before that one, the hospital had to downsize beds due to budget cuts. The legislature provided the department with a total of $16.1 million over a two-year period to expand community mental health services, but she said the department's overall budget was cut by $8.3 million in 2017 and nineteen point seven million in 2018. Um, District Court Carlton Reeves, who has been presiding over the over the case, questioned the speed of the transition and noted that effective world um, effective statewide community services seem to be years away. And this is a lawsuit that's been going on for several years. Um, Lacula said the state budget cuts led to the department discontinuing some programs and reducing staff. We just have no more money to shift to community-based services, which is funny because if I feel like Medicaid expansion, which could have brought in more money, more revenue for mental health services and healthcare services for the state, might just might have helped with this. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I'm not an economist, but yeah. That is my thing. That's the issue I think I, I'm, I'm continuously finding is we, we, have, we have this rhetoric that's saying that mental health is causing these issues, that mental health is, is causing these shootings to happen, but yet we're not adequately funding 
budgets towards addressing mental health. We're not adequately allowing people access to insurance, which is one of the biggest um, barriers for individuals to receive mental health services. And then all the while we're doing that, we're also stigmatizing mental health even more so than we have before by making mass shooters the face of mental illness. So what makes a mass shooter? We talk, we, we talk about, so suddenly we, we and this, the president has been quoted on numerous occasions saying that it's a mental illness while research and experts are saying that, I don't know that one. nobody asked you <laughs> sorry about that so what happens when i'm sitting next to to this thing here in my in my bedroom so what makes a mass shooter so based on the current body of research mass shootings tend to fall within specific categories most of which do not explicitly involve mental illness uh, according to Ms. Post, who we cited earlier, who told us that less than 5% of mass shootings were actually committed by someone with a diagnosable mental illness. So first things first, the type of typologies that cause these massacres are hate crimes, which a lot of these are. The Pulse nightclub shooting, um, the shooting in El Paso, Charleston, the, the Charleston church shooting. Uh, we can go on and on and on about hate crimes. We also see revenge shootings, uh, such as workplace shootings, which ugh, I believe that was um, the guy who, who shot the, the, the camera woman on camera. I believe that was a workplace-related shooting. Um, another typology is domestic violence on steroids. This is referring to when a violent spouse may kill an entire family. Mass shootings fall under fall within the categories of domestic violence, hate crimes, or retribution killings. So while these scenarios are important to research, uh, mass shootings overall are rare occurrences. They're rare, and yet they keep happening more and more and more and more. But they are rare occurrences, especially when it's involving um, mental health in particular. So, mental health um, definitely plays a role in gun shootings. And that's mostly for people who kill themselves, who are depressed and shoot themselves. However, not in mass shootings. Um, and this is something that I did mention on the uh, episode before where men are typically more likely to use um, more violent means as a means to commit suicide. Nearly 40,000, 40,000 people die in the United States due to guns. They died in, in, due to guns in 2017. It was the highest year that we had had a gun deaths in decades. The analysis conducted by CNN shows that total number of deaths were 23,854 from suicide by guns in 2017, which is the highest number in 18 years 
That's a difference of more than 7,000 deaths when compared to 16,599 in 1999. So, is it really? Is it really, really mental health? I don't think it really is. Not gonna lie. I don't think so. Um, although it seems like this happening all the time, public mass shootings are rare events and tend to have different motivations. Jeffrey Swanson, who is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Duke University, who specializes in gun violence and mental health, mental illness. They range from extreme anger to hate to rare manifestations of acute psychopathology. The risk factors of this kind of violence are non-specific. And one thing I will note that I don't know if anybody in this article actually mentioned is the level of planning, the level of premeditation that comes about in mass shootings doesn't speak to a mental illness issue. When you think of mental illness as far as like impulsive and aggressive and, and severe anger, you think of very quick, very explosive, short-term Impulsive, not thought out, not manipulated, not uh, premeditated means, which I think that falls in lines in the domestic uh, violence shootings where there is some pattern of behavior there, but not necessarily premeditation. Um, you look at the situation that happened in El Paso, that was absolutely premeditated with the manifest, uh, a manifesto written and not to mention the individual drove 10 hours to El Paso. He wasn't even from there to engage in this, in this atrocity. That speaks to planning. That speaks to so many different things that, not, that don't just explicitly involve mental health or mental illness. Um, and one of the issues that also undermines... And it's been mentioned before in this article, one of the issues that undermines the notion that mental illness is the reason why these shootings happen is because other countries have the same prevalence of mental illness as we do. They don't have the problem with mass shootings that we do, as Swanson said. If you look at our violent crime rate in the United States, it is about average in comparison to Western Europe, which would be, you know, the U Western Europe, uh, the UK, Canada, and Australia, and our homicide rate is several times higher. One reason is that we have far easier access to guns. Yep, there you go. Uh, various uh, studies over the past three decades suggest that the vast majority of people with serious mental illnesses such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or severe depression are not violent. And this is why I have such issues with making these people the face of mental illness. Most people who deal with mental illnesses and even severe ones are typically not violent and if not even close to the degree of mass shooters. 
Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've seen, especially working in my time in inpatient mental hospital, I've seen people who were mentally ill be aggressive and violent at times. I've heard some stories about some of the acts that they've done, and those are still rare in comparison. Uh, people with severe mental illnesses are more than 10 times more likely to be victims of violent crime than the general population. Only about 3 to 5% of violent acts can be attributed to serious mental illness, according to um, the Department of Human and Health Services. So it's much, 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 much more complicated than just mental health. Instead of policies that restrict gun access based solely on mental health diagnosis or a person who made contact with the judicial system, um, healthcare agencies and other advocacy groups call for gun access criteria based more on direct indicators of potential dangerous behavior. Uh, the APA recommends prohibiting firearms for high-risk groups like domestic violence offenders and people who have convict, have been convicted of violent misdemeanor, violent misdemeanor or felony crimes. So, the stigma stigma can be harmful can be a harmful result of routinely blaming mass shootings on mental illness, and this is why I'm doing this podcast because I want to break down the stigma of mental health. Rhetoric like this by the president and by conservative lawmakers who want to point the finger away from our freewheeling access to guns. And no, I'm not a abolish the Second Amendment person or anything like that. I'm not particularly fond of guns, um, but I also have a healthy respect for them. I know what they're capable of. I was trained about firearm safety at a very young age with a father who was a police officer. I'm more than more than respectful of what guns are. And while we're talking about scapegoating things, I need people to stop with this whole video game thing. I really do. I've played video games for 31 years. I have not committed any violent crimes. I've been playing a first person shooter almost exclusively for the last five years. No one has been murdered on my account. Video games aren't the issue, guys either so let's keep the focus on what the issue actually is our access to violent means to harm people and of course the last statement here um which is from rosie uh phillips davis who was from the apa also um in a written statement after the shootings especially where research has shown that a very small percentage of violent acts are committed by people who are diagnosed with or in treatment for mental illness. As our nation continues to process the unthinkable again, it is clear than ever that we are facing a public health crisis of gun violence fueled by racism, bigotry, and hatred. The combination of easy access to assault weapons and hateful rhetoric. It's not mental health. So let's stop that, please. And if it is about mental health, then fund it so that we're not running into situations like that is going on here right now at home, which has recently come to light 
After news about the potential closure of Gulf Coast Mental Health spread last week, many residents and community leaders were not happy with the idea of losing a community resource. Mind you, this is a state who was on a federal lawsuit about community mental health and its state. One of my, the biggest providers for community mental health on the Gulf Coast is on the verge of closing. The center was reportedly closing due to reports of major financial troubles, citing lack of funding. The board made it, the board of supervisors. Oh, the yeah, the board, the Harrison County Board of Supervisors met. This was from July twenty second. Met made the decision to put it up seven hundred thousand dollars up front from the twenty twenty budget to fund the center, as it serves Harrison, Hancock, Stone, and Pearl River counties. Different mental health region will also be brought in to assist with billing and reimbursements. Supervisors will likely be, likely said it'll be Pine, Pine Belt Mental Health, which services Hattiesburg, which is have, which is Forest, Lamar, Jones, Marion counties, where I used to live at. The board has made the decision, has to make the decision by Tuesday afternoon in order for the center to receive $1.5 million of its 2020 budget in advance from the Department of Mental Health. So, but it's a mental health issue. And yet we have mental health services that are on the verge of closing due to lack of funding. It's a mental health issue, but you are going to stigmatize people more and more of the idea that mental health means that you're a violent, crazy person who's going to hurt people. Mental health is the issue, but yet you are trying to gut healthcare access to people. You're trying to gut Medicaid expansion, which will allow people to gain access to healthcare, which will in turn allow them to seek mental health if they choose to. But it's a mental health issue. Okay. Then actually care about mental health. Fund it. Don't undercut it. Fund it. If it's a mental health issue. And since we know that it's really not, do something about guns. But you know, we know you're not. So stop throwing mental health under the bus. We're doing our job adequately. And sometimes the best that we can, sometimes with one hand tied behind our back based upon the funding. So uh, that's what I got today, guys. It's a little bit shorter episode, but I, I had to get that off my off me. Um, as soon as... Uh, the president said that, and it's, it's not the first time I've heard it. It's probably the 10th or the 12th time I've probably heard it, probably going all the way back to Sandy Hook, and clearly we didn't do anything about that. But stop scapegoating mental health about as a cause for something that you just don't want to deal with, and that's restricting access to assault weapons and restricting access to guns, making it background checks just routine background checks that study after study after study says that the american people actually want 
you had a law on the books of an assault weapon ban that was on the books for almost 20 years, you let it lapse. That was on the books for 10 years, and you let it lapse. And mass shootings have gone up since then. Exponentially. But it's guns. Not mental health. It's access to guns. It's hatred. It's bigotry. It's toxic masculinity. I'm done preaching for the day. Sound like, sound like my dad preaching on this thing. I'm done preaching for the day. So, next week, I'm going to have a happier, more positive. Yeah, you know what? We're going to talk about the power of positivity. That's what we're doing next week. So, yeah, I'm going to look forward to that. I need something. I need a palate cleanser after this episode. So next week, we're talking about the power of positivity, baby. So thank y'all for listening to the Captain's Couch. Um, like, share, review the podcast. Give five stars. Write a review. I'll read it if it's nice on the podcast. Um, Stitcher, you can, if you're on Stitcher and listen to Stitcher, you can leave reviews. It is convocate. It is convoluted and complicated and I have to remember how to do it. I remember doing it for the Black Hour Tips when I was still using Stitcher um, a few years ago and it was like, huh? How do I do this? Uh, on social media, use the hashtag uh, Captain's Couch. Um, you can follow the podcast at Captain's Couch on uh, on Twitter. Um, you can follow me if you aren't already following me on Twitter and Instagram at Captain Captain underscore Ingenuity. Um, leave feedback. Send an email uh, at Cap, uh, Captain's Couch 84 at gmail.com if you have a question or something that you want me to uh, talk about on the, on the podcast. I'm definitely willing to take suggestions. Shout out to Dad, actually, who's told me, who suggested... Um, that I do that and ask for topic suggestions. Um, but yeah, thank y'all for listening. And um, I'm going to come back with a bit more positive, upbeat um, episode next week. Take it easy. Congregation, would you turn your text to the book about cast? Chapter 2, verse 1. The first one to feel me. Jump up and make a joyful noise. Use our cast it. Meaning, now you have a choice like that. You'll be waiting